Welcome back to our series on crossing the Jordan of voting with a purpose. This is part two. So if you are listening to this and haven't listened to part one, go back to listen to part one. Part one, we talk about um, just my own experience of voting and what we look for and then some just some guiding principles that will help us. And then we get into a little bit of prudential versus intrinsic evil on how to weigh certain matters that are up on the table. And this part two is a continuation of that part one. And we're going to be talking about a topic that consumes everything that we face here as a country as we move into November, into this voting year. And this is the topic that we are now able to go and vote with a purpose. Before we continue this series and begin this episode, I do want to give you a heads up that this uh, will have some graphic uh, material and nature and some more um, mature things that we'll be discussing. So if there are kids around, you probably want to shut this off and listen to it another time. But thank you and God bless you. But there is actually one topic that includes all of those issues. It is the beginning of all of those issues. And it's because I care about all those things that we have to address this issue. This one issue is the epicenter and the perpetuation of all of those issues that we face. Oppression of human beings, oppression and abuse of women and children, child abuse, violence, racism, because this thing has systematic racism from the very beginning and still today perpetuates systematic racism that harms this entire community. Immigration, oppressing people based on where they live, sex trafficking. People use this to exploit uh, children and women and men. Depression and suicide go through the roof. Those involved in organized crime and sex trafficking and all those things use this system to literally perpetuate their cause of uh, using and abusing people. And that one issue that literally consumes and includes every single issue that we face here in America and throughout the world, that one issue that is literally the epicenter and perpetuation of all of these problems is the topic of abortion. So from here on out, we're going to be discussing this topic. We're going to be discussing uh, all the statistics, facts, what it is, how it's done, and all the arguments. And this is the topic on the table that is not prudential opinion-based matter. This is right and wrong, and this is always wrong. So first, I want to just bring out some statistics just to get our minds thinking. So the very first thing we should know is that the majority of the country is actually pro-life in the sense that when they respond, they think that it should be legal because, well, it's legal right now, so therefore we get our morality from legality. And then two, I don't know too much of, I don't know enough about it to say it should be illegal. But three, I think it should be really rare. So for the most of Americans, everybody thinks that abortion should be really rare. But let's go through some quick statistics just to get our minds thinking of this, of how large this issue is. And we're going to go through a lot of statistics later, but let's just start with this. One in every three uh, death in America is abortion. Abortion is three times deadlier than the leading cause of death in America, which is heart disease. If you added up every single other cause of death in America, it would still be less than than the amount of abortions that happen in our country. The number one cause of death in America is heart disease, taking between between 250,000 to 300,000 lives each year. Abortion takes 1 million lives every single year in America alone. 3,000 babies, that equates to 3,000 babies that are being murdered every single day. Planned Parenthood is the leading abortion provider that performs about a third of the abortions. So they perform about a thousand abortions a day. 
any Planned Parenthood that you drive by on average has 60 abortions or at least administering 60 abortions happening from that facility. And so as we said before, the belief that we this should be rare, this is not rare. And people who typically don't know enough, enough about it think it should be legal for those extreme cases in order to make it rare, right? But those extreme cases such as uh, incest, rape, or the risk of a mother's life, we're going to discuss all this later. That literally is 1% to 3% of the issues, those three together. 96 to 99% of all abortions happen because of pressure from somebody else, the abuse of somebody else, or just the decision that, well, I'm just simply not ready, or uh, um, all these other factors that are being, uh, being pressed upon the woman, uh, typically from another person or another person's out, uh, view of them. That, and they don't even want to be there. So let's just define our terms as simple as possible. But later on, we're going to go through and what this actually is and how it's done. But abortion is the direct and active killing of a baby in its mother's womb, the ending of a life. Infanticide, which we'll hear later on, is actually on the table. More people uh, within one given party, the Democratic Party, is actually open for this, and it's called infanticide, killing of children after birth. And a lot of times uh, that is first now being offered, and well, if children survive of abortion, then we should just let them die. That's what is being moved right now in infanticide, but as we will see, that this has been a progressive, devolving thing, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse because the principles that are very in involved in it, they have to uh, be okay with all these other uh, taking of innocent lives. So before we get into this issue in a lot more detail, I first just want to break down some walls and barriers that people may have from this uh, issue. I first want to say that I was pro-choice. This is not a religious issue. And third, this is not a one-issue voter topic. So first, I was pro-choice. Just a couple years ago, I was pro-choice. I didn't know the facts. I didn't know the gravity of it all. I didn't know how it happened, where it happened, how much it happened. I was ignorant of all this and all the other issues. I thought I was being the compassionate one by being pro-choice. I didn't think it was an issue and other things were much more important than this. But ultimately, I voted for Obama and Hillary Clinton because I liked Obama's personality and for Hillary Clinton is just merely because I didn't like Trump and his personality. I remember literally being like emotional in 2016 when Trump won thinking that like our country was going to be going down the drain and felt like I needed to comfort people after Trump won because I thought it was going to be, you know, just detrimental. But again, it goes back and proves that from the last four years with our government founded on the Constitution and the structure of it, our president can get a ton of things done in our country, even though sometimes I might cringe at things that he says or how he treats uh, people or how he says things. So it really comes down to uh, actually looking at the policy and lawmaking, which for the first two times that I could uh, vote for a president, I did not do. I did not look at the policy lawmaking. I did not form my conscience to understand all the things that are on the table. But once I actually began understanding all the facts and arguments, I realized that to be pro-choice, I literally had to be inconsistent with my principles or to be consistent, I needed to be very extreme. I had to be pro-abortion, pro-infanticide in order to be 
consistent. So I'm gonna get into I'm gonna get into all these arguments later on, but just for a quick example of what I mean by this is I used to say, well, what about these babies that are born into poverty? Their life is gonna be worse off, right? So in order to be consistent in that argument, I had to say that it's okay to murder a toddler, a one or a two year old who is also in poverty. So if I were to say, well, that's not okay to do that, then I'm being inconsistent because the only difference in those two situations is that the baby is either uh, in the mother's womb or is one or two, two years old outside of the womb. Literally, it's the same person and it's the same circumstance in poverty, but the only difference is where they are. So I had to be extreme to be consistent or I needed to be inconsistent in my principles. So, and I think for the most part, I didn't think, and I don't think we think as a country that it's that big of an issue because one, because we just don't know all the facts for one, but this is the one issue that is completely silent. The people who are most oppressed by it can't speak out because they're being murdered before they can even speak. Um, We don't see videotapes, news clippings, people speaking out uh, or images of it, like everything else that we can see. We get infuriated by, um, by all those things on the news. We are captivated by images. We see the video of um, people being hurt and we are outraged, right? Um, we're captivated by images. That's why um, when we donate <laughs> to a lot of, we see like sad commercials on, on TV, it's people in third world countries or abandoned animals. They show pictures of the oppressed, abused children or the abandoned children or abandoned animals. And those images captivate us and they move us to literally be emotional and want us to donate, right? But nobody sees or hears the actual horrors of abortion on the woman and the child and what it actually goes into all this. So, um, and just, it shows within our DNA, within how we naturally react to things, it shows that this is bad. Because if I were to hold a sign of a dead baby or a destroyed baby whose limbs were taken apart after an abortion, but I didn't have any words or a caption underneath the picture, it was literally just the picture and I stood outside with it. People wouldn't even think that I was supporting it. People would assume that I'm speaking out against it because of how horrible the image speaks. So the image speaks to our human hearts inherently that this is bad. And ultimately, when I was pro-choice, I realized and continue to realize that truly to be pro-choice is to mean that humans have a value based on how other humans value or feel about them at any given time, and it can, and it can change. Pro-life means every single human being has intrinsic value no matter what, just based on their very nature. So that is one barrier that I wanted to break down, that I was pro-choice, I was pro-abortion. And uh, second is, this is not a religious issue. A lot of times we might get into discussions with people and literally I'll get through this whole discussion with them and then they see the reality of it and then they say, well, this is why religion shouldn't get involved in politics because it gets so heated. Like that, they're just trying to shut down a conversation. This is not a religious issue. But certainly becoming Catholic helped me because it demanded that I acknowledge reality and I form my conscience, which is rooted in human reason and logic. So there are pro-life atheists. This is not a religious issue because the issue at hand is murder and murder isn't a religious issue. Every single human being inherently sees the grave magnitude of taking someone's life and that's why murder is illegal. And then lastly, to break down a barrier as well, is that this is not a one-issue voter. Again, I'll have full discussions about this, and then all these other topics get brought up, and they say, well, you only look at this one issue. No, abortion consumes, and every single issue is wrapped up in abortion into one. And it's because I care about all of those 
things that I care primarily about abortion because it includes all of those things. It is the epicenter and per, and the perpetuation and the epicenter of the all the issues that we face, protecting the vulnerable, the innocent. Who's more vulnerable and innocent those than the babies that can't even speak for themselves or fight for themselves? Uh, violence, this is murder. <laughs> immigrants based uh discriminating against people where they live now they say you know well that human being inside a mother's womb isn't really a person and doesn't have rights until uh some subjective time that people believe that it actually happens racism this literally comes from a systematic uh racism that continues today and we're going to be talking about all these things statistically and discrimination against women. Abortion is anti-women. It's oppressive against women. It tells them that they can't do something uh, unless they murder their child, or uh, it's typically from the pressures of another man. This is oppression against women and children. This is uh, oppression and dehumanizing of people. This is the modern genocide. This is to say that we're okay with this because these really aren't people. And then we begin valuing others based on how we see them as valuable as opposed and what they can do for us as opposed to who they are. They intrinsically have the right the, to the most basic right, which is life. So um, this is going to be the biggest issue because it consumes all other issues. And until there are 3,000 innocent people being murdered every single day legally, by any other issue, by the economy, immigration, any other thing, this will always get, this is always going to be the largest issue until this stops. And not only that, because from a legal perspective, yes, it's wrong, but a pro-life organization is um, there to one, make it illegal, but then also to make it unthinkable. Because if we get, because a lot of America gets their morality based off legality, if we uh, make it illegal, people will begin seeing like, okay, this is bad. And the, all these other things will happen because people will stop hurting women because they're they have this escape that they have this uh this way out. Well, we can just use contraceptives. We could just use and then if that fails, we can use abortion. And this is literally what what uh, um, organized crime uses <laughs> to uh, continue abusing women. And again, just to draw out the. Uh, prudential matter versus the intrinsic evil again and this is from my opinion on being extremely vulnerable and this is what i this is the freedom that we come as a christian i don't have to support every single thing that a person does or says for example one thing that has happened during trump's presidency that i don't like at all um and again this could be me not understanding all the facts and i might be ignorant of the facts because i haven't researched it enough but i don't like don't like the idea ever to destroy nature for pipelines and especially cutting through people's like ancient lands, like na the Native American lands that are being torn apart. I hate that. And not only that, we are supposed to be good stewards with the gifts that we had, including the environment that we live in and the, and the natural resources that we do have. The church even teaches that we need to protect the earth. Pope Francis has been big on that. This month, this month of September, the intentions for the Pope, uh, his prayer intentions, is to respect the planet's resources. So the church calls every single person to be good stewards of the environment and not destroying um, our natural resources. I hate how, uh, from a mass deportation perspective, I get that people need to become legal citizens, but mass deportation that is hurting and dividing families, it's, uh, it's sad, and it impacts the community right around us, right here in Detroit, a lot of people. And so... And I honestly wish that President Trump would have handled coronavirus better. I wish he would just wear a mask. But 
I am not going to vote for the other person because he thinks that he's more responsible because he wears a mask or that he'll shut down the entire country, which again, as we said before, which would be detrimental, one, to the economy, and then two, to people. Suicides have already skyrocketed, and um, even within a limited shutdown, it's been 25% of 18 to 24-year-olds that have had suicidal thoughts during quarantine. That's only going to get worse. The economy is going to get worse, and it's probably way too drastic of a measure to take when it's less deadly than the flu. But again, I could be wrong because guess what? That's a prudential opinion-based matter. But this is not. Abortion is not. 3,000 innocent babies are being murdered legally by the agreement of a doctor to take a life from a mother's womb. That is always going to far outweigh all those other issues. And one other topic that is not prudential in matter, and I stand with Christ Church, the Catholic Church, against the death penalty because in a developed society that we live in, we have protection against people who are going to be put in prison for the rest of their lives. So it is unnecessary and it still violates the dignity of that human person, even if they uh, are guilty and are not innocent, much less like a baby who is innocent and, and completely helpless. This person is guilty. However, it's completely unnecessary, and they still have dignity as a human being, and they can still uh, repent. They can make good out of what they have left, and they might even be able to help other people. But um, and but and that's horrible too. But that's twenty to twenty-two people each year, two thousand sixteen to two thousand nineteen, which has been the lowest since nineteen ninety-one. And uh, I can push, and I will push for the end to the death penalty here in America. But that still far uh, is inferior to 3,000 innocent babies that are legally being murdered every single year. And so again, I was pro-choice. This is not a religious issue. And this is not, this does not make anybody a one-issue voter. And if you are pro-life, never let anybody say that you are only considering this issue. We care about every single issue, and this is the epicenter of it, and this is the beginning of it, and this is what takes away the dignity and the value of every single human person. It is a direct contradiction to human nature and human reason and the dignity that every single human person has intrinsically. And as I said before, I've always felt that I had to vote for the least of the two people, and we don't have really a purpose to vote for somebody as rather against somebody, but this is what drives a purpose for voting. This is the issue at hand that gives us a positive purpose to vote, a reason to fight for. So I would challenge all of us to vote with purpose this November and think about all the other lives that are impacted. You know, sometimes uh, an organization that you might be part of might be supportive of something else. For example, if you're union-based, a lot of people might think, well, I have to vote Democrat for the best position for my union and for my job. I would challenge us to step out and start living and thinking and voting with purpose for other people for the most intrinsic values that every single person has, which is the right to life. All the other issues that we face is because we're facing them with our most basic right, which is life, the gift of life. We fight for all those things because we're living. So we have to protect life first and foremost. Before we get into all the other statistics and arguments and all this stuff for it, first I just want to say that if anybody has ever had an abortion, suffered from abortion, there is mercy and redemption for you. You are perfectly loved. God died for you. His blood was shed for you. And that is the extent that God will go to show you that no matter what you have ever done, mercy is found in him. 
that you will have life and life abundantly even after going into darkness or participating in something bad. I've been there. I've been in darkness and God has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, a kingdom full of life and love and joy and peace. No matter what we have done before, God is merciful and he gives us, he wants to give us his very life. And so there's mercy and redemption for you. And I'm going to try to list as many organizations and ministries as possible, but just a list a few that are open um, to help. Uh, they're pro-life, pro-woman organizations that empower women. Um, the Human Coalition, Mother and Unborn Baby Care, uh, Project Rachel, Hand of Hope, and a lot of these services are free. I actually met a woman in January who casually told me that a month before we were d- talking, she had an abortion because she got into a car accident, didn't know she was pregnant, found out she was pregnant. She just didn't feel ready, so she had an abortion. And by the way, this is in the context of me asking her, is there anything I can pray for for you? She said that she had an abortion. Her stomach's been hurting her for the past month, and uh, the abortion provider just gives her pills and won't do anything else for her. She felt like she was just rejected, helpless. These pro-life organizations do not do that. They're there for women who are uh, before they're pregnant, during their pregnancy, and especially after pregnancy, whether that means going uh, and actually delivering the baby or even women after having an abortion that are struggling mentally, psychologically, spiritually, physically. They are there for them for super low cost, if not free. So let's now hop back into more statistics. So as we have said, 1 million uh, abortions occur in our country every single year. And that has happened since Roe versus Wade in 1973. Since 1973, there's been over 70 million plus abortions here in this country alone. So before that, the country in total and in the European Union called abortions deplorable murder and unconstitutional because it takes away the very basic of everyone's right to life and allows for murder to be legal. And this was across the board. This was a Republican, Democrat. Everybody agreed that abortion was bad and wrong. But now we have people actually pushing for abortion all the way through the cases of all nine months and even infanticide. So, and a lot of people look to America for their legality. So this, again, I said like in in Europe, this was the same view as in America. Then 1973, Roe versus Wade was passed and we've had 70 million abortions here in this country alone since that time. And after that, the European Union opened it up as well. And now European Union is a a pro-abortion organization for all of Europe. And guess what? There are 40 to 50 million abortions committed every year that around the world. That means 125,000 abortions happen every day, 3,000 of them happening here in America, and that happened, uh, that increase at least for sure happened because <clears throat> civilized society, organized government looks to America for those things and then it becomes spread throughout the whole world. And so just a few quick facts about Roe versus Wade in 1973. First thing, Roe never had an abortion. Number two, there's actual laughter during oral arguments during the whole case of uh, talking about if uh, the fetus is a person. Um, and if it was, then we're actually killing a child that was born and the, the people were laughing. And they, had actually, they were laughing because they were saying in response to the question of like, yeah, it'd actually be a really difficult case if, we could, if, if it was abortion, right? If it was an abortion, because there, would, there was a protection within the 14th Amendment for the unborn fetus as a person. 
And the people literally laughed and said, yeah, it would actually be really difficult to uphold that. The decision in Roe versus Wade is poorly argued. Uh, this is what the court said. We need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. When those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at any consensus, the, ju the judiciary at this point in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate as to the answer. While we know from a scientific fact that life happens at the moment of conception, and this is not a difficult biological question. This is a simple biological reality, and it was even known at this time in 1973. Number four. The majority of the decision was actually strongly disagreed with afterwards. So Roe versus Wade was decided seven to two. So the majority of the decision was primarily based on a so-called right to privacy under the 14th Amendment. So the court admitted that the Constitution nowhere explicitly contains a right to privacy, but stated that such a right is implied in the shadows of certain sections. So they literally went through and made this uh, argument that's not even there. And they even wrote afterwards, the, um, this is from Justices Byron White and William Rehnquist. They said this afterwards, that they were in total disagreement. But they said, I found nothing in the language or history of the Constitution to support the court's judgment. The court simply fashions and announces a new constitutional right for pregnant women and with scarcely any reason or authority for its action. Invest that right with sufficient substance to override most existing state abortion statutes. And Rehnquist also said, to reach its result, the court necessarily has had to find within the scope of the 14th Amendment a right that was apparently completely unknown to the dra drafters of the amendment. And then lastly, Rehnquist uh, also pointed out that the court knew only that the plaintiff, Roe, at the time of filing her complaint, was a pregnant woman. She may have been in her last trimester of pregnancy as of the date the complaint was filed. In other words, the court's decision may not have been applied to the plaintiff's actual situation. And a fifth fact to know is that Roe v. Wade was almost overturned in 1992, and it was essentially upheld because it cited within the context of failed contraceptives. So the, the court said, For two decades of economic and social developments, people have organized intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail. The ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. The Constitution serves human values, and while the effect of reliance on Roe cannot be exactly measured, neither can the certain cost of overruling Roe for people who have ordered their thinking and living around that case be dismissed. So in other words, the court was literally arguing that Americans needed abortion on demand because they based their sex lives around the assumption that contraceptives fail and abortion will be available when it does. So the Supreme Court of the United States essentially admitted that abortion and contraceptives as are the same as Pope John Paul II said, fruits of the same tree. Contraceptives, horrible, leading to abortion. And we're going to talk earlier, but New York is one of the most contraceptive cities and they have some of the highest abortions. Um, and then a sixth fact about Roe versus Wade is that McCorvey, the woman, was actually um, coerced. She uh, claimed that she was rape, and but later admitted that they fabricated it to make her case more um, sensational. And then number seven, McCorvey, McCorvey the woman uh, of Roe versus Wade, actually became a pro-life advocate and a devout Catholic later on in life. So again, it was based on horrible logic and unconstitutional things that were forced upon the Constitution from seven men who were the Supreme Court justices that voted for Roe versus Wade. 
1973. They essentially said that it was okay because they didn't know when uh, life actually began and it was a difficult question. Biology, even at that time, proves that it was at the moment of conception. Even if we didn't know when life began, when a human being was created and and developing, why would we err on the side of, well, then it's okay to kill it? It's just like it is the same principle would be applied to if we're demolishing a building, but we think somebody's still inside, we would still we would actually go check first before we murder it <laughs> or potentially kill somebody in the demolition, right? We would be on the air of caution and conservative of it, not the other way around. So, and then also they, this is where first and second and third trimester comes from because a lot of people wanted to say life began after the first trimester to make it okay up until the first trimester. But as we're going to see later in talking about the development of life, a heart, a heart is beating, uh, legs and arms are there, eyes are developing, uh, um, their sexual uh, genitalia are, are forming and all of those things. So, um, And then they actually changed the definition of pregnancy to get away from birth control Um, that actually causes abortions. Birth control, yes, causes abortions. They said that life begins at implantation, but actually science has proven that life begins at the very moment that the sperm hits the egg at conception before implantation. So ever since this moment in 1973 and continuing, abortion skyrocketed in America, and those who profit off of abortion that destroys a woman's life and kills her child has pushed for more and more abortions and has found ways to make it seem like freedom for women and a mere surgical procedure like a dentist appointment and women's health care. And we often base our morality based off of legality. This is why it's so important here in America. But as Fulton Sheen said, moral principles do not depend on a majority vote. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong. Right is right, even if nobody is right. So just to lay out the rest of this episode, we're going to be talking about, we're going to quickly go through the development of life. Then we're going to talk about what abortion is and how it's done for all uh, trimesters. Then we're going to talk about the parties who are involved, who are the government, those who profit off of it, and then women and children and the family. And within there, we're going to be talking about how this directly impacts women specifically, because obviously a child is killed, but a lot of people claim that that's the only thing pro-life people are talking is that they're actually pro-baby uh, as, as opposed to pro-woman. No, we're going to talk about how this actually, how abortion impacts women and pro-life is pro-woman. And then we're going to be talking about all the statistics around racism because it comes from racism and systematic racism that's still there today and the principles that uh, compared directly to how Nazis viewed people um, and the Jews and, and black people and the same as abortion viewed people. Um, and then we're going to be talking about uh, the current party's positions from Biden and Kamala Harris and Trump and Mike Pence and what has been done and the, the move within those parties. And then we're going to get into the actual arguments. <clears throat> um, and we're going to see within those arguments that to be pro-choice is to be pro-abortion because you either have to be inconsistent or extreme in your principles. And we're going to go through nearly all arguments down to the toughest ones.